0: To give birth, a woman needs first to feel protected against all stimulations of our neocortex. That's a way to summarize the basic need of labouring women. We know where the stimulants of the neocortex. It means, for example, never talk to a woman in labour. Language is power, the most powerful in the moment of the new cortis. <music>
1: This is a place where I would like to explore body connection, empowerment, and major rites of passages, really, which have become either so invisible and disregarded or medicalized and unmarked in our modern world. So I'm Stephanie Vihovsky, I'm a herbalist, artist, and the mother of a seven-year-old daughter And at the same time, I'm heading fast into the rite of passage of menopause. We are starting this podcast series with an exploration of the experience of birth and its physiology that is actually birthing a child into this world from your womb, as it is the start of our embodiment here on earth. And also becoming a mother during our lifetimes is such a major shift. But I'm sure all this will organically evolve, or at least I'm hoping that it will, into many, many different subjects around all the important rites of passages in our lives and our place, power and potential in this world. With great pleasure and excitement, I would like to introduce Michel Audon in this episode who introduced the concepts of birthing rooms and pools in the UK and who is known as the father of the natural birth movement, although he himself doesn't like to use these terms like in brackets natural childbirth and it will become clear in our conversation why. Michel is a French obstetrician, who is the author of 16 books, including Birth Reborn, What Childbirth Should Be, Childbirth and the Future of Homo Sapiens, Do We Need Midwives, Birth and Breastfeeding, Rediscovering the Needs of Women During Pregnancy and Childbirth. His latest book, Can Humanity Survive Socialized Birth?, was published a month ago, shortly after the recording of this interview. Michel has been tirelessly active for over 45 years and still is at 93 years old, writing and publishing scientific articles, giving hundreds of talks, workshops, and also running courses. He founded the Primal Health Research Centre in London, and has been a member of the professional advisory board of the Lalesh League International. I attended his Paramanadula course in 2013 with his co-conspirator Liliana Lamas prior to the birth of my daughter in 2015. And I credit their wonderful generosity in sharing their knowledge and experience with so much humour that I wasn't afraid of the birthing process and that I had a first home birth at age 39, which was wonderful. Even the NHS midwife's present said that it was a very quick and smooth birth for a first birth. So without any further ado, here we go. Michelle, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And it's really a great honor, I have to say. And it's so lovely also to meet you in person 10 years ago at your Paramana Dula workshop. So I gave a little introduction to you, but could you describe your background in your own words for our listeners who don't know you and maybe a sort of pivotal experience that has led you to dedicate over 45 years of your life to freeing the birthing process from its interruptive processes in our Western world.
0: Yes, it's good that you say, talk about 45 years, because I must confess that I am now 93, 93 years old, and it's difficult to summarize what happened during yeah, almost a century. good yeah. that I have to start in the middle of my life. Uh, I must explain, in fact, how I became involved in childbirth. Because originally, I am a surgeon. I was educated in the 1950s as a surgeon. At that time, it was general surgery. We are not specialized. We could do everything, everything, including caesarean section. I was educated as a surgeon at the very time when the new technique of caesarean section, the safe one, <laughs> I called a segmental technique, it's a, it's a detail, developed. And at that time, obstetricians most of them, had no surgical background. They were asking the surgeon, please, can you do a cesarean section? And that's how I became familiar with the new techniques. In particular, when I was in the French Army, 1958, 1959, during the independence war, during any kind of Uh, emergency surgery, war surgery, but also caesarean section. So that's how I became familiar with new technique, safe technique, which is still used used now. And it happened that in 1962, I became officially in charge of the surgical unit as a general surgeon in the state hospital an hour from Paris. But in that hospital, when I arrived, there was a small maternity unit, 200 birth a year, two midwives, and no doctor officially in charge of the maternity unit. There was an old surgeon in the town that were calling for cesarean section or for forceps, but these old surgeons were still practicing the old technique of section. So when they learned about my background, that I had a certain training in obstetrics, that I was familiar with the new technique of cesarean section, although it was not official, when there was a problem, they were calling me. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the story. So that was in 1962. But I realized soon immediately that in a rural area, women were suddenly obliged, or almost obliged, to give birth in the hospital, in the general hospital. They were not familiar this environment. The hospital originally in such a place, it was much the, the hospital was the place where you are going to die, you know. They are not, I realized that. So I thought of what can we do So feel comfortable now. I don't, I don't want to give details, but that was the beginning of my interest for the importance of the environment during the period surrounding birth. So, gradually, it was not overnight. For example, we designed a new kind of birthing place, birthing home, which was not looking clinical. It was like, like at home, a place where you, you you can forget that you are in a hospital. We invited and not women to come and sing together, coming to the hospital, a place to sing with other women together, know each other, know the midwife, and so on. We introduce originally we, the ancestor of the birthing pools. It was a garden plastic paddling pool, <laughs> <laughs> a garden paddling pool, to try to avoid medications, drugs, drugs. When birth was a little long, difficult, we try to avoid medication. They always have side effects. How I bought a garden paddling pool, a <laughs> plastic <laughs> paddling pool. So many things like that. The result of this way to try to adapt the environment to new situations is that originally only women from this rural area, coming to this small maternity unit. But because we became completely different from other uh, hospitals, there were more and more women from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were not far from Paris, not far from Orléans, Women went sort of from big cities. The result is that when I arrived in that hospital 1962, there were 200 birth a year. After that, gradually, 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 we have reached 1,000 birth a year. 200 to 1000. I had no time for surgery. So that's why I became known as an obstetrician, although I am not an obstetrician officially, okay. <laughs> <laughs> originally, starting from unusual questions. So this is a way, very fast way to summarize my background. Uh, I might say more, but it's a fast way to summarize. After that, after my hospital career, I had the experience of home birth. It's a way to learn uh, more about physiological processes, to live more independent in a hospital. You're also dependent on other people, but the midwife had learned that school, things like that. So I was much more <laughs> autonomous now, as a way to learn more time to write. And today, that to say in 2023, I'm still involved in childbirth. So yeah, very much so. I've been practicing medicine now since in fact 1949. You know, that is to say seven something like 75 years, you know. So I can talk about the history of medicine, the history of childbirth. That's why your question is a little bit tricky. How do you summarize all that? So many things happen.
1: Of course short, you're
0: 90 I cannot talk about everything.
1: <laughs> of course you're 93 um and um, 93 life experience so when you became um when you left the maternity unit in France yes. and you in 1985 involved yes. in research and home birth was that still in france or were you already in the uk then hello this
0: is a time when i came to london i had a friend an english woman friend I was, We were very intimate, and we had a son together, born in 1985. So I had reasons. One is one reason, among others, to come to London. So that, to go back to your question, that I started a new career around 1985, some experience of home birth, a way to learn about physiology. Participating to education of a new kind of women doulas, Trust was new, absolutely new. We had never heard of doulas, and suddenly I was asked to do information sessions for doulas. You know, mm-hmm. uh, more time to write books, to update uh, the public because things are going so fast. You know. Now that every year we need to publish a new book because a book published now in two thousand twenty, it's like it was written in the middle ages. <laughs> you
1: yeah, went so fast, are very fast,
0: <laughs> and I'll use this opportunity to tell you about the title of a book that probably will be published before the summer vacation this year.
1: Yes, please. What is
0: the title? <laughs> title is Can Humanity Survive Socialized Birth? Uh, once more, it's a question. I, I always ask the question. Can Humanity Survive Socialized Birth? You know, I must say that I'm already writing the same book into French as well.
1: <laughs> Great. So how would you answer the, the question, I rarely can answer
0: questions. Mm. We must not try to provide answers. And that's why uh, most of my books have a title with a question mark. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I phrase questions. What's the right question? What we have to do is to adapt to unprecedented situation. I can give you an example. That's a way to introduce an important aspect of our topic. It's useful to recall in a very fast way the main points, the main phases in the history of childbirth among humans. We have sufficient amounts of information of data, serial data, to say that until the time when our ancestors started to dominate nature, Agriculture, domestication of plants, animal husbandry, domestication of animals and so what we call the Neolithic Revolution. Before that, it was the Paleolithic ages. We can say that during the Paleolithic ages, women used to isolate themselves to give birth. We can say that. So there, was, there has been a big, big crisis in the history of mankind. Recently, about ten thousand years ago, comparatively mm-hmm. recent. But what people forget that this Neolithic revolution, this phase of our history, when our ancestors started to dominate nature, it was not just domesticating plants and animals; it was also domesticating human beings, mm-hmm. in particular, physiological processes related to reproduction. And in particular, childbirth, childbirth, from that time suddenly childbirth became socialized. Mm-hmm. We must understand this turning point to understand the current phase in the history of childbirth. It became socialized. Before that time, as I said, women were isolating themselves to give birth, coming back in a community with their baby, and suddenly birth was socialized. What does it mean? It means that when a woman was giving birth, in general, there was at least one or several persons present. The beginning of midwife or a mother or somebody. But also, birth was socialized because all human groups started to transmit from generation to generation perinatal beliefs and rituals. Mm -hmm. They were transmitting. It was socialized uh, to a great extent by modifying the way of thinking via perinatal beliefs and rituals, often very invasive. invasive. For example, from that time, uh, babies were not authorized to find the breast immediately after birth. (laughs) The belief that the colostrum is not good for babies. It was a widespread uh, belief all over the world. So almost everywhere in the world, the initiation of breastfeeding was delayed until recently. When I was in the maternity unit of the Paris Hospital in nineteen fifty three, women could not have access to the breast before the age of two days or two. That was a revolution in the life of a human beings. A way to amplify the rules of natural selection. Probably from that time, weak babies could not survive because they had no access to the precious colostrum. You know? So, to understand what's happening now, and many other rituals, you know, bath in freezing water to eliminate people who could not survive, many things like that. So, birth were more and more socialized. Many beliefs, rituals, some differences between cultural milieus, but always the same. Birth was socialized. The, the main way of thinking, women could not give birth without some cultural interferences. Until now, until now, look at the vocabulary, the dominant vocabulary. Today, when talking about childbirth, what are the key words? Helping, guiding, controlling. I can summarize or conditioning by showing the cover of a famous American book, better known in the, U- in the U.S. than in the U.K., uh, second half of the 20th century, a book by a guru mm-hmm. of what was called natural childbirth. But it's a wonderful way to realize the basis of our cultural conditioning. You don't, once more, you need to look at the cover. You see the word coach. Coach, That's significant. Yes. To give birth, you need somebody who will guide you, control you. You are unable to give birth by yourself. A woman is not supposed to be able to give birth. She needs a coach. That's highly significant of a way of thinking, of cultural conditioning that started 10,000 years ago and that's still there now. now. (laughs) Look a little more at at the cover. Who can be a coach? It can be surprising, but a man, <laughs> the husband, not the best person to guide, to control, to give advice to the woman in labor. That's a little bit strange, no? What is the best coach? And oh, let's see, up to the top of the page, you'll find the association of two words the word method. Method of natural childbirth. But method and natural are incompatible words. When There is a method, it's not natural. So just to explain, here we are today. We have reached the limits of the domination of nature. It's the same for everything. You can talk about the climate, you can talk we have reached the limits of the domination of nature. That's the phase we are living now. What to do with these limits? Such limits that we have to wonder better how can our species survive? When we realize that today we don't understand, culturally speaking, at a cultural scale. It's not special to the UK, the US or or, uh, or China. You know?
1: <laughs> it's all over the world. It's yeah. a global,
0: a global yeah. scale. We have to rediscover after thousands of years of culturally controlled vehicle processors, we have to rediscover the basic need of human labour. How to do that is the right question. For point of departure, probably there are people like you and other people who have read books or health professionals, and probably they saw some chapters about birth physiology. Short chapters, because among health professionals it's not a very important topic. But the point is, in all official studies of birth physiology at the present time, they start from the same questions. Why are human births difficult? And they always provide the same answers. Human births are difficult for mechanical reasons, morphological reasons. We are shown drawings of the skeleton of the mother, drawings of the baby's head, skeleton of the baby, and we are explained for mechanical reasons. Human births are difficult. We'll stop. We don't need to say more because we cannot change the shape of the body of a mother expecting a baby. <laughs> So no, no need to say more. But the point that everything has change. perhaps we can rediscover to a certain extent the basic need of women in labor if we start from the right question. Why? Occasionally, even in 2023, there are still women, occasionally, who are not, women who are not special, morphologically speaking, are not Well like everybody, but why there are women who give birth occasionally easily quickly. They have not just the time to realise baby is coming and baby is born. That's a useful question. Why human birth can be easy? And if you start from that, you realize suddenly that until now we have overestimated the importance of morphological factors more important to understand the solution that nature found to make human birth possible and even occasionally easy. For that, we have to, re- to take into account what makes human beings different from all other mammals. It in the incredible extraordinary development of our brain and particularly the part of the brain, that we call the new brain the technical one the neocortex so to understand birth physiology why birth process is special among humans we have to start from the particularities of robot very special normal even if we compare with our cousins the chimpanzee genetically speaking we are chimpanzees <laughs> chimpanzee family but our brain is three times more developed. Our neocortex is much more developed and so on. And chimpanzee give birth easily, quickly, of course for mechanical reasons. But there is something else, is to understand the solution that nature found to make human birth possible, although we are very special. Morphologically speaking, and particularly the size of the head of the baby, and so on.
1: So what did nature come up with? Because I think nature is very
0: intelligent. So now we can explain. Now we can provide answers to your question. And that's new. We have a new understanding of human nature provided by modern neurophysiology. Until now, the role of our neocortex was understood a certain way. We said, oh, our neocortex is a tool. But now, suddenly, we understand that this new brain, this neocortex, is not always a tool. It can be almost the opposite. There are situations when the active neocortex can obscure, can inhibit, can make more difficult physiological processes. That's what we have to understand now about human nature. In the concept of neocortical inhibition, our powerful brain can do mathematics and so on and so on, can, when active, inhibit, can make more difficult and obscure some physical function. That's the concept of neocortical inhibition when some human physical functions are inhibited by an active neocortex. First we can talk about the phase of human life when the neocortex is not yet highly developed. A newborn baby, the neocortex of a newborn baby is not yet highly developed. And when baby was recently born, it has reflexes, behaviors that will disappear after some weeks or some months. It's what is called archaic primitive reflexes. neonatologists <laughs> experts in newborn babies, can find them. Among these archaic behaviors, archaic reflexes, we can introduce capacity to swim. If you immerse a very young baby, this baby will not panic in water. This baby will keep its eyes open, will have perfectly coordinated swimming movements, and will reach a place that can be grasped. The human beings can swim during the weeks following birth because of particularities of human beings. But after some weeks or some months after that, human beings have lost the capacity to swim. They have to learn to swim. And among human beings, swimming is a learned behavior. It's learned, which can be an advantage, because we learned behavior means that all human beings don't swim in the same way. Imagine a cow who has never seen a river or a lake. If you throw the cow in the river, If you send a group of cows in the river, they will all swim. They know how to swim. They have not learned. And they all swim exactly in the same way, the same style. Human beings will get drowned if they have not learned, if they are immersed in the river and so on, but they have not learned to swim. If they have learned to swim, they have learned the technique, which is very adaptable, a learned behavior is very adaptable. It can be an advantage not to be able to swim, to have to learn the technique. So that way will illustrate the concept of neocortical inhibition. Now, the effect of an active neocortex is that you lose the capacity to swim. But it's the same for other physiological function. For example, the sense of smell. The sense of smell is weak among human beings. But it has been demonstrated by educated scientists. If you drink a glass of wine, you reduce neocortical control. A glass of wine, perhaps you cannot immediately uh, mathematical equations, something like that. But your sense of smell is more powerful. If you reduce your neocortical control, your sense of smell is suddenly over. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to explain the solution that nature found to make human birth possible and, and even potentially easy. That's the center of what we have to learn now. Not nature found a solution to make human birth possible and even potentially easy is the neocortex, the thinking brain, the brain thanks to which we can communicate with human, but stop working. Giving birth, it's not the business of this neocortex, of this new the neocortex in the business of archaic, primitive structures. If we understand that, and that absolutely, what is essential today, absolutely essential, when we reach the limits of the domination of nature, particularly regarding uh, capacity to give birth, what is essential is this solution, nature found, to make human birth possible. The neocortex must stop working some people still know that a woman can give birth easily, quickly, by herself. No need for anything, for all medication, and so on. There is a time when, obviously, the neocortex is at rest. She can forget what she read in books. She cannot forget her plants. You know, it's uh, fashionable to make plants. She can, she can forget uh, what she was told, and, and so on, and so on. And she is, when giving birth, she behave in a way that suggests that there is no neocortical control. For example, she dare to behave. That would not be acceptable, usually culturally unacceptable. For example, screaming, swearing. She can perceive others that nobody else can perceive. Very good science of a reduced neocortical control. People don't pay attention to this wonderful sign. But uh, when you are aware of what is probably important, the anecdote of women in labor who could perceive others, not nobody else could perceive that, to understand birth physiology. And women, when they are giving birth easily, quickly, by themselves, they can find postures, unexpected postures. Primitive, mammalian, and so on, that when a woman has given birth by herself, no drugs, easily, and so on, the days after, in general, she cannot remember details about how she gave birth. So that's a way, at the present time, a reason for optimism that after thousands of years of culturally controlled childbirth, of Invasive beliefs, rituals, and so on. That to say that it's not impossible that we can, correctly speaking, rediscover the basic need of liberating women. To give birth, a woman needs first to feel protected against all stimulations of our neocortex. That's a way to summarize The basic need of laboring women. We know where the stimulants of the neocortex. It means, for example, never talk to a woman in labor. Language is the most powerful stimulant of the neocortex. It means careful light in the edge of artificial light of lens and so on and so on. Uh, be careful not to switch on the light like that suddenly. And be careful to any situation that will attract the attention of the mother. When you pay attention to something, your neocortex is stimulated. Simple. But it means, don't stay in front of a woman labour like and observing her. Better uh, if you have to be around, to be sitting in, in a corner, you know, and to be careful with anything which might be perceived as a danger. The point is to understand the importance of the word protection. You cannot help an involuntary process, but you can only protect it against inhibitory factors. The point is to change the way of thinking, to st- Eliminate words. That means help, guiding, controlling, coaching, coaching that in groups promoting what they call natural childbirth. In medical circles is labor management. But it's the same. It's cultural. People promoting natural childbirth, uh, health professionals in childbirth in the same way of thinking. It's a deep rooted cultural conditioning. That's what we have to understand. That's why it's so difficult. It's not overnight that we can reverse thousands of years of beliefs and rituals and so on. We are on the way. For example, everybody knows that the colostrum, early colostrum, is precious. And that a newborn baby knows how to find the breast The higher following birth. We're on the way, but we have not yet, until now, really changed our thinking. And this is the reason for my next book and the title of my next book. So, one reason for optimism is that if we accept the lesson from modern neurophysiology, it's not absolutely impossible that we can rediscover the basic need of laboring women. We would have, to certain extent, de childbirth. I think we have to promote this world hmm, towards neocortical inhibition hmm, and the need to de some aspect of human nature. There is something we have to add, perhaps, to what is essential. Essentially, if we consider that there is, at the present time, a pandemic, epidemic at a global level, of labor induction. Probably much more important for those who are interested in the evolution of HOMO. But what I call the phase of physiological preparation to childbirth. Important today since women Have caesarean section before the labor starts. So, if there is a clinical phase of preparation to childbirth, this phase is shortened or eliminated artificially if we do pre labor c section or inducing labor. And today, when you add a number of women who give birth by pre labor c section plus those who have been induced, It's a huge number if we make this addition. That's why it's so important to understand that when we shorten this phase, we play, we behave like apprentice sorcerers, which in fact is well-known. But specialized scientists were too specialized. So the point is to bring together all what we know about this phase to realize how important it is. We learned from brain imaging, what we call MRI, MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, that before the labor starts, during this phase of physical preparation to childbirth, some zones, some parts of the gray matter, neurotex, simplifier, gray matter, are shrinking. Brain is changing, thinking. We might know often that they are a little bit different, you know. But that's subjective, you know they need a uh, difficulty remember what they wanted to buy at the uh, at the shop or things like that. But that's subjective. But we have objective facts, measurable. Which part of the brain can matter? Part of the brain involved socialization. It has been studied. It has been demonstrated by conjoint studies, Dutch-Spanish. Another example. You know, we know now that today the melatonin, the darkness hormone, work with oxytocin. Melatonin is an essential birth hormone. At the level of the brain, in particular, oxytocin and melatonin, the darkness hormone, work together. And we learned that Finnish and more recently Japanese studies, that during this phase, of physiological preparation childbirth, the maternal concentration in melatonin are increasing. That's why we feel sometimes a little bit different, not very intellectually active, you know, things like that. So that's objective. And not only the brain is modified during this period, but also the activity of the placenta. The placenta is releasing. A factor, placenta is an uh, endocrine gland as well, you No, know? a factor called allo, A-L-L-O. You don't need to know that it means allo pregnant gland, but allo is reducing the activity of uh, brain moderators, reducing neocortical activity, uh, access, uh, reducing the release of GABA, uh, modulate and so on. So also, the Asanta participate in this phase of uh, preparation to childbirth, which is a way, when the that, to save from obliv- oblivion some very, very important, serious studies that, for many reasons, have not been noticed. Through. Swedish study, you know, a huge population of men born between uh, eighteen eighteen nine and 1941, you know. And after that, these men have been seen during the second half of the 20th century. The longer was the time spent in the womb for a man, and the short and more reduced was the rate to develop one day a prostate cancer. Think of a doctor, a urologist, specialized in prostate cancer. He will not read studies, but the duration of fetal life—it's <laughs> not his business—and think of a midwife of nutrition when baby is bo- a boy is born. I'm not thinking of the risk of this boy to have a prostate cancer.
1: Yeah, I mean it is tricky, isn't it? um especially in regards how the scientific, modern scientific world has worked and. How focused that they are on, on their specialities and how it all works. Uh, yes, that's the point.
0: We, the over-specialization makes us blind. So, suddenly, when we realize the importance of this space, suddenly we save, we have to save, to remember such valuable studies that have been ignored, although published, ignored until now. And I'll say still more about the importance of this phase, that this phase is important in brain physiology, placental physiology, what we can do about epidemiology is possible. I want another factor. It is the fact that also the fetus is also preparing for for the birth, to participate on this phase of physiological preparation to childbirth. And we know oh, It's well known, but we don't think of that. We don't. Uh, well, we know that the fetus is giving a signal saying, I'm ready to be born. Mm-hmm. To be born. What does it mean? It means to be ready to breathe. To be, I remember, the fetus can release any amniotic fluid at a certain phase of its development, a factor called surfactant, it's technical, but it's well-known surfactant, A factor releasing in the amniotic fluid, which means I'm ready to breathe. The fetus the participates in initiation of labor. Participate in this phase. So it's the, the mother, the placenta, the fetus participate in this phase. The baby participates in initiation of labor. It's an aspect of this phase. And still more. I'll finish with that because it's very recent, but it's very significant, and significant of all what we have learned today. Uh, you know that human beings, until recently, were supposed to be the only mammals born with their skin covered by a cream like cheese, which is called vernix caseosa. Until recently, nobody was interested in vernix caseosa because it was Apparently, it was supposed to be specifically human. Other mammals, no, not Japanese, no, no. So, uh, when I was a medical student, they were wiping out Vernis uh, Casioza on the skin of the newborn baby. It's useless. We don't know what it means. But suddenly, we realized that it's not as simple as that. Because it's not just human beings who are born with Vernis And we knew that among the von score was increasing until a phase in a at term and then decreasing a little bit after we knew that some experts knew that but, but that's all but no interest was only human beings but suddenly we have learned that it's not just human beings, it's also some sea mammals like seals, sea lions. They're also born with their skin covered with this vernix, this vernix-like cheese vernix, vernix and caserosa. I wrote book, but a book about that, so it's a common point with sea mammals. So suddenly there have been interest in vernix caserosa, another trait, a particularity shared by human beings and some sea mammals. And what we are learning from sea mammals, it is that when baby is born at a precise phase around the term, there is a good amount of vernis But after that, it will decrease. It will decrease. Why? Because the fetus is, uh, the vernicosla is separating from the skin. The flocks are going swimming in the, in the, in the amniotic fluid. And the baby, the fetus, is swallowing the verniscazeosa, which is leaving the skin. And this verniscazeosa, which has special formula, uh, chemicals, and stuff, uh, is important to feed, uh, to, to establish the gut floor, the gut floor. Suddenly, we and on the way to understand uh, this phase of physical preparation might be important or play significant role to establish the good flora of human beings. An aspect of this phase of preparation to child you know, and, and probably important. Because it's at the same time that we are learning importance of our gut flora. You know, so.
1: Yes, and with that, the immune system. <laughs> so,
0: just to say that we are at a special time, when we are a lot to learn if we phrase the right question. And so we perhaps to conclude uh, our meeting that until now in general uh, in medicine often we play the Sorcerers, apprentice apprentice sorcerers. Uh, what are, what is the main characteristic of apprentice sorcerers? And this phase of preparation to childbirth is a good way to explain what are the apprentice sorcerers. <laughs> we are all apprentice sorcerers today. But what that you uh, have to explain that when you are an apprentice sorcerer, you have powerful way to interfere at short term. Powerful way to, short term, you a powerful way to to interfere, you are powerful. But, but, you have not developed your capacity to think long term. And, and that's a way to summarize the situation which we are today when we consider childbirth. We are powerful to interfere. It's incredible decide when baby will be born we can use <laughs> drugs we can Maybe can be born vaginal roots we have a powerful way to interfere but we have not yet developed our capacity to think long term so I think I want to finish like that because it's a way to summarize why the question we are discussing together is so important and why uh, at, the, at the present time, we have uh, a lack of interest for published studies, but we have not realized their
1: importance.
0: We are all more or less at this of
1: Yes. I had a bit of a spiritual teacher, and she did. she was married to a scientist, and she used to say, Oh, they are all teenagers. Because, and I bring that back to the sorceress apprentice, she said they are looking at things very, very in very detail, but they don't take the long term and the context into consideration that much. And I connect that to the sorceress apprentice approach that you are talking about because we do not know so many, and they are obviously. Being revealed more and more, I mean, at least with that scientific understanding of all these complex, incredibly complex processes that are going on. I mean, I personally only knew that the vaginal birth would give the skin microbiome, but I didn't know how the vernix would also influence the gut microbiome. So I have learned, I, I learned a hell of a lot today. So thank you. After listening
0: to you, I want to just to add an important point for students in human nature. I told you the title of my next book is Can Humanity Survive Socialized Birth? There is a chapter in it called Can Humanity Survive Socialized Access to Transcendence? Topic I mix socialized access to transcendence after the Neolithic Revolution, domination of nature, transcendence was socialized, uh, acceptable access. Places to have access to transcendence: you know, churches, temples, and, and so on and so on. There were. It's always better topic if you mix it with related topics. So. I relate access to transcendence, socialized access to transcendence, socialized childbirth. It's an aspect of my book. And I dedicate my book to Pascal, bless Pascal, the famous physicist of the 17th century and so on and so on, because he had a special uh, mystical experience, access to transcendence, that he had hidden. It was not socialized. It was hidden. Somebody found it by chance in a little paper when he was dead that he found in the bottom of one of his his coat. (laughs) And nobody knew that. It was something he had not socialized at all. That's why, a reason why I I dedicate my book to Pascal.
1: wow. Michelle, amazing, because you have covered everything in the last hour. I think we have gone to the absolute source. I love also how you have looked at language and how we use language and all the philosophical backgrounds and our cultural backgrounds, but also looked at some of the science You are a very progressive man and I love how you are thinking and putting it out there. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to talk. It's almost lunchtime, lunchtime, so have a good lunch and we, and we we keep in touch.
1: So I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Michelle. It has definitely given me lots more food for thought. As always, I will publish a list with links to Michelle's resume and books and anything else that was mentioned in the podcast and could be of interest for you to explore further. If you found the podcast via one of the usual platforms like Apple or Spotify, then come and also visit my website at www.mothermouth.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. And being here, bye for now.